good morning to you, Christ Central. We, I think, have come to the conclusion of the Y series. I'll see how God leads me this week, but I think this will be the finale. We're going to answer the question, why the Lord's Supper? If you have your Bibles, it'll also be projected overhead. We're going to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Okay, Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. This is a scripture reading for us. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. You shall keep it as a feast. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. If you read and you understand the New Testament scriptures, very few things, very few things are called the Lord's. Very special, selected things are called the Lord's. There's the Lord's day. But today we learn about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Why the Lord's Supper? Just two biblical reasons. Two biblical reasons. First, it is to remember. It is to remember. We just read in verse 14. Through Moses, God commands and calls all of his people. I want you to have this memorial meal. Throughout all your generations, it's like perpetual. And when you eat this all together, I want you to remember things. Well, remember what? Remember what God had to save you from. Remember what God had to save you from. Exodus chapter 12 is smack dab in the middle of... God promising to unleash the most devastating final plague on the land of Egypt. There were 10. This is the 10th to come. And in the 10th plague, every firstborn son in the land of Egypt will be struck down dead by God himself through the angel of death. The culmination of all the plagues is the 10th plague and every firstborn son, God will unleash his angel of death, and every firstborn son will die. Why? On what basis? Did God execute Egyptian sons because they were Egyptian? <laughs> and did God preserve and save Jewish sons because... They were Jewish. It is very telling when Moses himself has to instruct the elders of Israel to select and sacrifice lambs on what we call the Passover night, the first Passover night. 
to, quote, put blood all over your doorposts. It actually says, put them on the sides and on the lintel. That means on every side of your door should be plastered and painted with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. We read three verses of Exodus chapter 12, which in effect is a specific and salvific manual. Okay, my friends, please understand, we read an ominous passage, but it's the only get out of death manual. It is the God-ordained, specific, and salvific manual of how to not die that night at the hands of God. You must do exactly what God tells you to do through his prophet and his messenger, Moses. Because in chapter 12, verse 22, Moses goes on to say, none of you. Okay, listen close, my friends. Not just Egyptians, we're talking Jews. Who are supposedly known as the people of God. They're the chosen people. And Moses says, none of you, not just Egyptian, I'm talking to your Jewish families too. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. Don't go out that night. Don't go out all night. Because this night, that night, that one night, was a dreadful preview of judgment day to come. Hey, think of it this way. The final consummate judgment of God in the eternal future kind of rushed and intruded into the past. And in the 10th plague, you get a foretaste of the final judgment of God at the end of history. In which God will deal with everyone's sins. Everyone's sins. Starting with mine and yours. God will not only deal with everyone's sins on judgment day. He will deal upon all God's. He says, I will execute judgment upon all the gods. Pharaoh was worshipped and deemed to be divine, and so was the son of Pharaoh. Well, the son of Pharaoh would be executed to show that only one God is supreme. On God's judgment day, he will execute judgment upon both Egyptians and Jews. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with your family lineage. Egyptians and Jews. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, For it is appointed for you to die once, every single person, man, woman, or child, you're going to die once, and then it is appointed. God has an appointment with you. Did you know that? He has a one-on-one appointment with you. It is appointed. There's a schedule that is going to be kept. Not only will you die once, but you're going to have to meet with your creator God. You're going to have to be meet with your maker God, and he will judge you. Now, just like on that Passover night, what is God going to judge you about? On what basis? Well, being Jewish is not going to save you. Going kosher is not going to save you. Having a certain diet or fast will not save you from the judgment of God. Practicing the right religion or even the wrong religion will not save you. Power 
or position, quote from our passage, from Pharaoh to slaves. You're smart. You're smart. Some of you are just brilliant. You're beauty. Some of you are stunning. Stunning. You're just physically fit. You're healthy. You're radiant. Your wealth will not protect you. Not your family or your morality. Not your sobriety or your sexuality or your spirituality. Did you know on Judgment Day that you going to church and having your kids catechize and learning the doctrines, that that on its own churchiness or church culture will not cover you? The holiness, which is indiscriminate, perfect and pure, and the judgment of God himself comes down on the obviously wicked, despicable, bad people out there, out there. They never go to church. But did you know that it is appointed for God to judge you, the good people, supposedly the good people in here too? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 reads, For all, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. I don't think the English translation does justice. When it says fall short, we're not talking like you barely made it. Like you almost made it. Oh, I was like that at the 23rd mile. If I just went one more mile, I could have crossed the finish line. No, no, no. That's not what you're talking about, brother. Sister, please listen close. At the judgment day of God, it's not like you almost made it. You did not come close. I mean, March Madness is going on right now. It's one of my favorite sports tournaments in the world. Because they play their hearts out in college. You didn't, it's not like you made the tournament. Okay, this is the tournament, like Cal, Cal Berkeley. We didn't make the tournament. I'm not even talking about that you're Division I college. You're not varsity. You're not JV. I think you're like park and rec. Like you're playing in Cerritos Recreation Parks. That's, I don't have a proper analogy or illustration to point out to you that when it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's not like you almost made it. No, you didn't even come close. You did not come close. Because if God's judgment were to come down right now, absolutely holy and pure justice right now, and if it was just based on pure fairness, meritocracy, like what I deserve and you deserve, like if the angel of death came down right now, right now, there's not one person in this room who would survive. So who does survive? Who gets saved? On what basis do you get saved? Here's what Moses told the people of Israel. The only salvation was to find cover under the blood. The only salvation was to find cover under the, the blood of a sacrificial lamb. The lamb of God has to get judged in your place. The lamb of God has to get slaughtered instead of you. This is how God saves Please make no mistake, this is the only way God saves. 
It's not by imitation or inspiration. It's not by you being a better good person. Listen to me close. It is not by you becoming a better Christian. The only way God saves is through substitution. Sacrificial substitution. A lamb would have to be slaughtered and you must take its blood as paint all over your doorposts because that night when the angel of death descends, the angel of death would only pass over, only pass over the household with blood splattered all over its doors. What a salvation. And so God establishes a Passover meal as a memorial meal to remember what you have been saved from. For devout Jews, my Jewish friends, Passover is practiced to this day. But for Christian worshipers, Passover has become what we're about to do in about 30 minutes, the Lord's Supper. The Bible teaches eternal judgment can only pass over you, my friend. Listen close. If you forget everything else, you got you to you know this part. The only way the holy judgment, perfect and indiscriminate and pure, will pass over your head. The only way the angel of death takes, does not take your life after your first physical death is if the blood of Jesus Christ gets on you. The only way every single person in this room, man, woman, or child, is not because I got baptized and I became a member of CCSC. I mean, do you know how many mission trips I went on? Do you know how much money I gave to the church? Do you know how many hours I prayed? Do you know how much Bible I know? Come on. I'm a really good person. That, that will not have the angel of death pass over you. The only way death and judgment, eternal death and judgment will pass over you is if literally the blood of Jesus Christ gets on you. This is how Apostle Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He talks to Christians or saints. He says, those who have been sprinkled with his blood. Sprinkled with his blood. That means... You got to get the blood of Jesus Christ on you. Personally, powerfully, life-changing. How do you get the blood of Jesus Christ on you? How do you find cover under the blood of Jesus Christ? You got to stop trying to save yourself by being a good person and by trusting in Jesus Christ to substitute and to sacrifice for you. To cover you whole. You got to have the blood of Jesus Christ cover you whole. Because the only question that remains into eternity for you is this. Will it be the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt or will it be yours? There's only one of two ways. And you get to choose. You do get to choose. Do you know that? Before the judgment seat of God, you can either say, well... I'm going to try to be as good enough of a person. Here, take my blood. Look at how much I did. And you can try to 
guess or estimate whether that's going to work or God, you provided a sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the perfect spotless lamb of God, which we just sang about. The blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God was spilt for me and it covers me so that I can pass judgment. So that I can pass judgment. Christian people get to worship, love, and follow Jesus Christ. For he did go out one fateful night. Moses told all the people of Israel, do not go out this night. You better stay indoors the whole night. Even after you put blood all over your house, don't step out of your house. Do you know that on one fateful night, Jesus Christ had to go out? And you know Jesus Christ did go out? No one forced him to go out. But he went out knowing that he's going to be betrayed and crucified on a cross. Do you know why Jesus went out to that night, that night, on a Passover night? Was to become a sacrificial lamb for sinners. And before Jesus Christ went out that night, he instituted, commanded, and called his people to observe the Lord's Supper, which is the New Testament Passover. On October 3rd, 1789, George Washington issued that Thursday, the 26th of November of that year, would be set aside for rendering thanks to, quote, that great and glorious being, end quote, for newfound government peace and plenty. Abraham Lincoln came along and established Thanksgiving Day as an official holiday on October 3rd, 1863. We as Americans have a memorial holiday to remember things. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ established the Lord's Supper. A synonym for that is communion. Another synonym for that is Eucharist. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 25. For I received, Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why the Lord's Supper? Reason number one, to remember. Remember what you had to be saved from. Now here's number two. Here's number two. To relive. To relive. You know, in the Old Testament, just by eating that meal and by remembering what God had done through the Exodus, delivering the small, fledgling slave people of Israel out of the kingdom of Egypt, just by remembering and eating was considered and accepted as an act of worship to God. So a big part of worship to God is remembering things, remembering what God saved you from. But my friends, as you remember things, you get to relive it. As you remember what God had to save you from, you get to relive that event. 
you know, that marvelous movie Coco, when young Miguel sings to an aging grandma Coco in the way that her father used to sing to her as a little girl. Remember me, though I have to say goodbye. Remember me. Don't let it make you cry. Remember me, though I have to travel far. Remember me each time you hear a sad guitar. I would love to sing it for you. But you'd cry for the wrong reasons and be distracted from the sermon. But if you watch the movie Coco, as Miguel sings a song that her father, Grandma Coco, used to sing to her. Disney and Pixar are just masterful. My goodness, it's like, it's demonic, it's satanic, it's incredible how good they are. You see her vacant, empty expression come to life. Do you not? Just by a song. I know full-grown adults who get overcome by memories through a song. I know full-grown adults, including myself, who just get wrecked by a movie <laughs> or a certain holiday or doing like a favorite activity that your loved one used to do, and it triggers memories. Let me ask you, my friends, this morning, do you suppose the Lord Jesus Christ left something significant behind for you? Don't you think Jesus Christ would leave something behind for you to remember and to relive? It's called a sacrament. It's called a sacrament. A sacrament is directly instituted and commanded by the Lord himself, and it's loaded. It's loaded. It's loaded with the very presence and the promises and the grace of God. Jesus wants you to remember how he remembers you. Jesus wants you to re regularly remember how he can never forget you. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist, Jesus speaks and shows up to show you, I got you. I really got you. Why the Lord's Supper? Jesus wants to show you, I got you. Some of you have 12 to 14 hour study sessions or workday benders. I'm praying for some of you at the church who's Health is failing. You got devastating news from a doctor. I know some of you who have come out of or are going through right now a marriage that's failing and breaking apart. All your friendships and relationships just never seem to work out. Some of you can't sleep. Some of you are so depressed. Some of you have so much guilt. Some of you have so anger. 
Some of you feel so lonely. Some of you go through benders just this last weekend. I'm so glad you're here. And after you, everything you've been going through, and after everything that you feel like you're going through, do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ left something behind for you? And he wants to signal to you, I got you. I really got you. I want you. I will never forget you. I remember you. Come to me. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of love where you get to not only remember what God saved you from, but to relive his absolute love for you. You know, the Lord's Supper is for people exactly like me who really struggle to believe and experience the gospel. John Calvin used to call the Lord's Supper the visible word of God or the signs and seals of grace. Do you know when you need signs and seals? Do you know when you need that? It's when you can't bear to just listen to a sermon. Do you know when you need signs and seals to really believe and experience this is true? It's because you've grown deaf to hearing just about the gospel, just hearing about the gospel. You start to figure out one day, I'm so prone to wander, prone to wander the lead of God, the the, the God I love. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You are prone to cynicism. You are prone to unbelief. You are prone to so much disappointment in your own heart. And you become hard of believing. This is why the Lord's Supper is offered to you. For people who have a hard time believing and experiencing the gospel, God knows your need. So he wants you to see it, smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it, to remember and relive the absolute love of Jesus Christ for you. People who are Calvinistic these days get a bad rep. A lot of it's deserved. And the caricature is that, oh, those are Calvinistic reform types, catechism, creeds, they're all academic and They always want to be precise, true. But it's nothing like John Calvin himself. Did you know that? A lot of people think John Calvin was just logical, heady, brilliant, theological. He always wanted to find an explanation for everything. Not so when it came to the Lord's Supper. He was far from the frozen chosen. Here's what he observed, quote, Next slide, please. If anybody should ask me how this communion takes place, I am not ashamed to confess that this is a secret too lofty for either my mind to comprehend or my words to declare and to speak more plainly. I'd rather experience than understand it. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, there are mysteries and marvels here and miracles here that take place that no theologian can explain. In fact, it is good for us to study and learn more things theologically because it should never take away your experience. In fact, the more you learn theologically, it should only deepen the awe and humility and appreciation for experience. Why the Lord's Supper? So you and I can remember things. 
And then you and I can relive for God. Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher, I can bear my own witness that many and many a Sabbath, when I have found but little food for my soul elsewhere, I have found it at the communion table. Remember and relive for God. Oh, one more thing. Not just relive for God, relive for one another. You and I, through the Lord's Supper, are caused and strengthened and fed and nourished and re-enlivened. Why? To relive for God and for one another, his church, the people of God. You know, just as Passover brought together the Israelites as Passover ones, so the Lord's Supper brings together the very people of God. You know this saying is somewhat true, right? If you suffer together, you stay together. Right? If you go through some trauma together, you stay together. Our deacons and our elders and pastors, they've been through some trauma together recently. They had to get examined and study and cram and get examined. Uh, That's a good experience. When you get some trauma together, you tend to stay together. How about this? If you get saved from the wrath and the judgment of God together, you don't think you're going to stay together? Saved together, saved from dying together, they'll tend to stay together. Because the Lord's Supper is covenantal, which establishes binding relationships among those who eat of it. The Lord's Supper is communal, it's social. So that when Jesus Christ himself offered the first New Testament Passover meal in Matthew 26, which is called the Lord's Supper... Jesus wasn't just hungry. He wasn't just trying to fill the physical appetite of his disciples. Here's what Jesus was doing. He shared a meal with his disciples because he was binding and uniting them to himself. Before Jesus Christ was to be betrayed on that night and get crucified on a cross, he shared a meal with them, the first Lord's Supper, the New Testament Passover, because he wanted to unite them to himself so that when he died, they died. When he paid the ultimate price for all of our sins, the price for your sins was ultimately paid. After his resurrection from death, On that first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus shared a meal again with his disciples. Again, not just to fill your physical appetites. He has his disciples united to himself in his victory over death, victory over Satan, victory over condemnation of sin. And we will all rise again to a new and never-ending life with him. So that anyone today who eats of the flesh of Jesus Christ and drinks of his blood by faith in the Lord's Supper, you get what he gets. (laughs) You and I get what Jesus gets. You deserve what Jesus deserves. God looks at you and talks about you and blesses you and protects you and loves you and lavishes his spirit upon you as if you were who? Jesus Christ. Because when you eat and drink of the Lord's Supper by faith, Jesus is bound and united you to himself. 
Two features of this covenantal meal and we close. They're practical. Two features of the Lord's Supper where we get to relive for God and for one another. But just two practical features of the covenantal nature of this meal. Number one, you got to show up. Right? You got to show up. This one you can't take online. I'm sorry. We offer podcasts and videos for those you cannot make it on occasion. And we love that God can bless you through that. But I'm sorry, the Lord's Supper you can't do from your bathtub or your bedroom. To take of the Lord's Supper, you got to show up in flesh, in real life, in real time. No matter if you woke up right or wrong, no matter if you had a good night or a bad night, no matter if you smell good or not, doesn't matter if you're dressed or not, you got to show up. Now, these days, everyone has some kind of FOMO, right? FOMO is the fear of missing out. FOMO is the fear of missing out. Social media is not good for that because it always breeds this discontent and dis- just comparison. But I think there is one breed of FOMO that is very spiritual and appropriate. Do any of you have FOMO for the moves of God? I mean, I wonder, do you have FOMO? Do you have the fear of missing out of God moving in such a palpable, powerful way that it could change lives? Do you know when it usually happens? It's when you show up to take of the Lord's Supper with his people. The Lord's Supper is the opposite of disembodied individual, isolated individuals doing their own things on their own terms. And you cannot, cannot, my friends, substitute for the palpable work of God working and moving through a room. When you're hearing the preaching of God, And the Lord's Supper with his people. With his people. In the flesh. This is one mini reason why so far I have philosophically an aversion and a reason against that when we went multi-campuses that we're not going to just project sermons video online. That's not only for you. That's for me. That's for me. I don't want to miss out being with you and experiencing what God is doing together with you. One of my most reflective, gospel-responsive friends that I have recently told me about a couple weeks ago, if not a week ago, he said, you know, Harold, I trace back that every good and beautiful and blessed thing that's ever happened to me in my life is when I was with his people. Every good and beautiful thing that's ever happened to me, every blessing that I don't deserve, well, when do you think that happens? It's when I was with this church. Number one, you got to show up. It's covenantal. Number two, show up to one local church. Show up to one local church. It took me a long time to learn this. I dare say when I was a single young man, I might have traveled the world more than anybody, anybody here. I lived in Eastern Europe for a year. I don't know how many mission trips I went to. When I was in Eastern Europe for a year teaching at a seminar, I traveled every Eastern European country by myself. Loved it. I had wanderlust. But I had to learn this. Do you know that you can't be here and there? 
You're right. You cannot show up at Christ Central of Southern California worship service at 10 a.m. at Hope International University and also go to that Bible study in church too. You can't be elsewhere and everywhere. Did you know that Jesus Christ in his own physical body, he can't even do that? Jesus Christ in his physicality is not everywhere, but he's at the right hand of God the Father. But only by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, he is with his people. He's with his people. Even Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, shows up not to everybody, but to a particular somebody's. To a particular place at a particular time. That's why we are thrilled and humbled by 18 membership vows that will take place in the next 10 minutes here, here at Fullerton. Artesia will be next in a month or two. And one of the vows that members of this one local church that they're going to make, in essence, is this. I'm just going to show up. (laughs) You know, I'm going to show up here, uh, not there. I'm going to show up here, not elsewhere. I'm going to show up here, not everywhere, to this one local church. And for those of you, my friends, I can feel it to my bones. When you hear this, you feel limited by it. You feel constrained by this. You feel constricted somehow. Oh, just one local church? Just to that place, one group of people? Don't don't underestimate it. Please. Do not underestimate showing up to committing to, loving, and serving one local church. Because if and when you should suffer in this very busy and lonely world, who's going to show up for you? Do not ever underestimate That you pour out your love, you pour out your life. One group of people, one local church. Because I think all that matters at the end of the day is who's going to show up for you. My wife and I know maybe pretty well maybe better than most, that CCSC can be a a very comfortable, cliquish place. We could be a very messy place. We could be a backbiting place. We could be a shallow place. We could be a broken place. We're hurtful and sinful at times. And I was just reminded last weekend at Sola Conference, which is a movement of local churches in L.A. that I have the utter pleasure to be a part of for 20-somethings and 30-somethings. I heard this through one of the the preachers uh, quoting Jean Vanier on the three phases to real community. Phase number one, idealism. Phase number two, disappointment. Phase number three, commitment. Three phases to authentic community. Idealism, disappointment, and then commitment. 
There's a lot of people who can't get past phase one. Because your idealism and romanticism is enemy number one to actually developing and sticking with a real community. Some of you keep checking out and hopping around churches because you just want to find the perfect one. But the problem is, as soon as you find a perfect one, you should not go there. You'll make it imperfect. So how can you and I move and mature through all three phases? Idealism, disappointment, and commitment. And man, I've shared this so often to almost every ordained officer and ordained officer to be of our church and pastor and leader, including my wife and I, because this is the greatest test of the gospel. Do you know how you move and mature through all, phase, all three phases? It's can you move past when you are hurt and sinned against? Can you forgive and move past that? And the only way I think we can do that is when you see and receive how Jesus Christ himself showed up for you, he showed up for you, and he keeps showing up for you, he keeps showing up for you, he keeps showing up for you, he keeps showing up for you. He shows up for you. He showed up for you. You! He knows everything about you. Everything. And he keeps showing up for you even after you wrecked him. After you wrecked him. And he wants you to remember and to relive for God and for one another. There is no greater sign and seal of the love of Jesus Christ than when you and I get to take and taste of the Lord's Supper. Glory to God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word, who paves the way, paves the way of our hearts, that as we come together now to celebrate membership induction and to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, Lord, that you would cause us to remember and relive for you and for your church. Hear us, we pray, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.